I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome. This is part two of my Stompcast with Dr. Karen in Greenwich Park. We're about to get stuck into the stomp this week, but I'd first like to chat about our sponsors, Fitflop, who are helping me to move better with supportive, comfortable, and scientifically tested footwear. Now, after I've been on a good long stomp, I don't want to take my Fitflops off and put on a subpar pair of slippers after being so comfortable. Luckily for us, Fitflop have thought about this and have an amazing range of slippers and slides that are perfect for lounging around the house. Their range of men and women's slippers have contoured footbeds and are made with incredibly soft materials to make sure your feet feel great. I can't vouch for the women's shoe shearling slides myself, but wow, they look like absolute heaven to slip into after a stomp. They have triple density micro wobble technology, which basically means they absorb shock and diffuse underfoot pressure. There you go, micro wobbled. What a dream. And for men's, there's plenty to choose from, including the amazing eye cushion technology, ultra light, super sleek cushioning that's ergonomically shaped for all day comfort. So if you've upped your stomping game, but your slipper game is weak, head over to fitflop.com. Guys, welcome back to part two of the Stompcast. We are stomping away in Greenwich Park. Dr. Karen and I are just discussing everything NHS, really. But now we're going to dive and take a more, less wide view and microscope into your life. Mm. Why, why did you decide to be a doctor? What was the, what was the reasoning behind that decision? Yeah, I mean, the, the answer I gave in medical school interviews was significantly more different than what I'm going to tell you. <laughs> you know, I regurgitated some cheesy answer when I was in medical school interviews. But honestly, so my mum's a doctor. She's a professor of haematology, so wow. blood disorders and blood cancers, etc., and haemophilia, blood diseases. Yeah, and, you know, she's super intelligent and she's worked all over the world. She's worked in Hong Kong, in Nairobi, in Mumbai, and, you know, in England and London for the last almost 30 years. And I would be lying if, you know, I said that she wasn't a massive inspiration to me and an influence in the terms of recounting just really interesting stories from all the various places she's worked or the patients she's seen. So I thought, wow, I want a bit of that as well. And when I was growing up, saw all these medical TV shows, Grey's Anatomy and Scrubs and all these kind of things. House, House, yeah. yeah. Um, So it really pushed me more into that path. And as it turned out, I was quite good at sciences compared to other subjects. I enjoyed it. I did some taster weeks and work experience shadowing doctors and GP practices and in the hospital. And I just loved the intensity, the vibrancy of everything and that kind of seemingly all-knowing power. Oh, they just know so much. And I wanted that. I wanted that knowledge. And um, yeah, I thought, you know what? I want to be a doctor. And how old were you when when I guess that decision was kind of firmed up. Was that kind of in your A-levels, GCSE, young? Because you have to kind of make that decision quite early. I had to kind of, I think I made that choice about the age of 14 or something. Yeah. Um, Well, there's one interesting thing, actually. So um, I was born in Mumbai, and I spent most of my childhood summers in Mumbai. I had all my family there, my cousins, etc. And there's one particularly 
balmy Mumbai evening. We were playing cricket in the street. My cousin, I'm about to bowl to him. Yeah. He suddenly collapses to the ground in pain. He's clutching his right hand side. I don't know what's going on. In the hospital, it turns out he had a ruptured appendix. Oh, gosh. So his life almost got claimed by that. And ever since, I've no sworn revenge on the appendix and the you, human you, body. You decimated many appendixes. How many <laughs> appendixes have. do you think you've taken out? Over 150. Um, that's a lot of mutilated appendixes. That's that a lot word. of... And so, you know, I think that was one of the first triggers to say, actually, how do I understand the body more? Because I don't want my cousin or my family members or anyone else to go through this. So that was my first intro to it. And over the years, my mum influenced me, etc. And yeah, you have to decide so early. I think it's quite strange, actually. You have to decide in your high school years what subjects you take. And that almost narrows down your choice when you're older. I think actually that's one of the ways in which the UK system is a little bit not quite right, I think maybe, where you have to decide and narrow down so early. Mm. But in America, you can do it a bit later on when you're more mature and make that decision. Well, the thing is, is that actually fundamentally, a huge amount of my work now is focusing on the education system and how we can rethink the traditional system, maybe iron out some of those kind of obvious flaws. And one of those things I think we need to focus on is the most important thing from a school education, you know, is, is to learn how to learn. It's not necessarily the content, like how much yeah. of your biology degree, I mean, obviously, you, you know, <laughs> but how much stuff can you really remember about the plants and things like that? You actually, you're, you remember everything. You're a human uh, encyclopedia, but you don't remember that much stuff and that doesn't matter. It's how you learn. So whether you get into med school because you've done psychology, which would be great actually considering yeah, everything you see, psychology, geography and whatever, like it doesn't matter. It's the process of learning yeah, yeah. that matters. And I think we do well to kind of bear that in mind. And that's why I think, you know, and I'm so passionate about integrating mental and physical health education support throughout schools because mm. actually it's, it's as important to learn 100%. how to look after yourself as it is to learn because if you can't look after yourself and deal with the pressures of being a doctor you're not going to get to that point are you no I, I think that's exactly right i mean having those coping strategies to not only look after your mental health but also like you said learning to learn and just the art of acquiring knowledge it's a skill yeah and a lot of people in medical school, what I found, anecdotally anyway, was that they would just rote learn everything. But that's not the way you should be learning things. You don't want your doctor to be a walking encyclopedia of knowledge, but not able to translate that knowledge into practical scenarios. Mm. That's what you want. You're gonna, you've segued me nicely into, into you as a person, actually, because one of the things, I mean, I remember seeing your earlier videos on TikTok and I remember messaging saying, God, you, the stuff that you make is amazing because you have an incredible skill of taking knowledge and you put it in a way that people can just understand. Thank people you. as young as 10, 11, you know, young people, complex science in a way that's digestible, excuse the pun. <laughs> yeah, very good, very good. Dum, dum, very good. But you do it in, in, such a, in such a brilliant way. Is that a skill that you've always had? Have you always been someone that's like teaching? At, you know, at university, were you the med student that did a lot of teaching for the young years actually. and stuff? So in medical school, so everyone thinks I kind of started this social media journey on TikTok, but actually back in 2012, I was a fourth year medical student. I was doing hematology as my bachelor's degree then. Had a lot of free do. time, yeah. <laughs> it, people called it Hema Holiday because it was very chill. <laughs> very chill. So I was like, oh yeah, I'll have a bit of that. Oh, God, we're going to have some DMs on the hematologist yeah. now, aren't they? Like, how, how dare you? How yeah. um, So I did the hematology, had like a couple of days off a week actually. Me and a couple of other colleagues, we had just the year before finished these exams called OSCEs. 
objective structured clinical examinations. Oof, this gives you shudders even now. Oh God, yeah. So, you know, the OSCEs, for anyone who doesn't know, it's these kind of physical simulated exams that you do where you have a fake patient, or a simulated patient, and you need to do a checklist of how to examine their heart or lungs or whatever. And there weren't many resources showing medical students and healthcare professionals how to do that. Yeah. So I thought, me and my couple of my colleagues, we filmed loads of these OSCE style examination videos, put it on YouTube, got a bit of a cult following of 20, 30,000. Wow. And people loved it. And weirdly enough, some of those videos ended up in this crazy ASMR space on uh, YouTube because I need to check this out. I was completely unaware of this about you. I felt like I knew a lot, but so, this is completely new A lot to me. of ASMR people love the doctors or nurses whispering and examining a patient. I don't know, something What about kind of it. website was this all on? Is this YouTube. definitely on YouTube? Com, yeah. <laughs> Are you <Nothing>. sure? <laughs> yeah, so, um, so that, that was my initial foray into social media and education. And, you know, actually, I think one of the things that you do well, and I hope I do well as well, is just being somewhat natural in front of the mm. camera and being able to speak to people. I credit that due to the fact that I loved drama in school. I loved going in school plays and I loved ah. actually just acting out and talking a lot. So that's kind of stood me in good stead in my social media. And yeah, I, I just love telling stories. I've always been fascinated by tales and myths and stories. And when I educate someone on a topic, I like to structure it like a story, you know, a really engaging beginning and you give them the story and then a fantastical ending, like a, like a journey almost. Yeah. And actually, if anyone who wants to create social media content or make content online, the number one thing I'd urge them to do is become a good storyteller. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You have to be able to, even actually, if you go back to using that in, in the hospital, when you're explaining to a patient yes. what's happened to them, you are effectively a storyteller. You have yeah. to take all this stuff that you understand in the back of your head, because they've not seen all the scans. They no. don't know how to interpret them. They haven't seen the blood test. You, they've come in with something saying, doctor, what's going on? Yeah. And you have to, and actually, when you see really good communication between a doctor and a patient or a nurse and a, and a patient, it's a beautiful thing and it makes a yeah. huge difference to how that patient perceives what's happened because for that person, it could be a life-changing thing you're telling them. Yeah, exactly. And if you take the you know, example of, you know, one of the one of the parts of your job that's, I mean, it's 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 a really tough part, but let's let's be frank, you have to diagnose people with cancer sometimes. Yeah, it's not nice. And you have that conversation, but then some people go, what are you talking about when you say, Yes, but you can do it really well and you come away feeling really good about it. Like, how can you feel good because you told someone they got cancer? Well, because you've done it in a way that is kind, that's empathetic, that's, that's given that person, you know, a, a realistic view of what's happening, but done it in a way that doesn't just leave them with billions of questions and feeling yeah. alone. I mean, I, I've been in both sides of that fence when I was a very junior doctor, sort of first, first couple of years. Someone in their first year shouldn't really be well, shouldn't have the burden of no. breaking cancer diagnosis someone because they should watch it and maybe learn from it first. Unfortunately, the job I was in, someone told me, can you go and tell so-and-so that they've got pancreatic cancer, which is one of the most abysmal prognoses bad, bad of all cancers. Mostly, yeah. And I broke the news and I didn't have any proper structure. I was taught how to break bad news, that module we do in medical school. Yeah, that wasn't weeks. enough. Yeah, two weeks of that. And the patient just crumpled. They were just oh. distraught and their life had, you know, was just done a topsy-turvy. And fast forward many years later, I obviously through the process of learning how to speak to patients, how to break bad news in a sort of gentle way that explains everything so they're armed with all the knowledge. Now, patients obviously are upset, yes. disappointed, etc. But they're more 
firm and solid in how they accept the news. They're like, thank you. Okay, now there are these options. They've got some optimism sometimes. Yeah. So there's, there's well, the a... important thing is that, that that person will never, ever forget that moment. No. So even if it's a bad moment and it's a horrible thing to be telling someone, it's still a moment they remember forever. Yeah. And, and, that, and I've had this, you know, in A&E, we, again, we have to say things that are oh, really yeah, difficult to people. And, and you do, it is a skill like any other. And you get better and better, but there's a real you satisfaction do. in doing it well. Going back to so education, so how did the TikTok, how did the TikTok start? <laughs> where did it, where did you go, do you know what? I'm going to download TikTok and I'm going to give this thing a go. Because at the time it was all dancing videos. It was, you yeah. me, Did you start with dancing? No, no. So, <laughs> you know what, the, the thing is, so I started on TikTok as a consumer. I was just watching videos and I found them quite funny. It was just like, you know. In the ASMR little... section. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there was yeah. all sorts of funny things on there. And I just found it sort of enjoyable to watch it. And actually i realized hey i was doing all this stuff on youtube ages ago why don't i try and do that on tiktok it's a new social media platform and maybe this could reach more people and i realized on there there were some doctors on there and a lot of people were just singing and dancing i very quickly realized i couldn't sing i couldn't lip sync or dance (laughs) so let me talk and just educate and let me use my real skill let me (laughs) use my yeah actual skills that i have rather than that and i was actually on call we were about to do a laparotomy, an emergency case where we, you know, basically cut someone open and have a look at their insides, their intestines, see what the problem is. The patient was in the anaesthetic room and the anaesthetist needed probably about 40 minutes to an hour to, you know, optimise them and put them to sleep. So I had about 45 minutes of downtime in the theatre coffee room with my SHO, my junior colleague. And he said, oh, you're always on Tic Tac, TikTok, whatever it is. Tell me something interesting. And... I just told him some interesting facts, you know, like, did you know that yeah. if you press on someone's eyeballs that you can actually lower someone's heart rate, the oculocardiac reflex. Um, I've seen your video on that before, actually. <laughs> yeah. I learned that from your video. You. And, um, you know, there are more microbial cells in the human body than human ones. And, I was, and he was like, no, I don't believe any of that. And I said the stomach acid can dissolve razor blades. It's that powerful. And he was like, OK, I don't believe anything you've said. If you truly believe in any of that, film a video with those facts, put them in a TikTok video and see what happens. And he filmed me, I was in my scrubs and everything. And I said, weird medical facts, one, two, three. We did the surgery, came out. He said, look at your phone, looked at it. At that time, it had, I think, about 50 or 60,000 views. I was like, wow, this was when I had a yeah, few hundred followers. Yeah, not the five million there. <laughs> and, you know, comments and likes and shares and people loved these weird medical facts. And it triggered me to think people are taking more interest in their own health. And that was what spurred the entire sort of social media educational journey. What I find interesting, so when I came out of uh, Love Island a few years ago, I clearly had that thing of like, it was very, it was entire, I love to say I masterminded this thing of going to the show. I went for a two week holiday because my consultant basically said that it's a great opportunity just to go away and do something different. I was like, why not? I'll do it. I was in between doing my JCF year, so my clinical fellow year. And I was like, well, do you know what? I'll go, I'll take two weeks sabbatical, whatever. Next thing you know everything followed on so you kind of get in this situation Incredible. I was like well I, I know that I love what I do and I am very passionate about health, mental health and, and these things I thought well, what I'll do is go back to A&E and I'll just start making content and see what happens but what I really noticed at that time particularly that time is that there is a lot of medics who are very very afraid yeah to the point of maybe being almost annoyed at people yeah. being on social media yes and what I find fascinating now so I came out and there's probably 
a handful of people on Instagram, really. Yeah. There weren't many people that are actually with any real big following doing this social is media. 2016. This is 2018-ish. Oh, right, okay. I noticed that there weren't that many. There were some. Dr. Mike, a few other people. Oh, there weren't yeah. that many big, big yeah. followers. Now, fast forward post-pandemic, and I say there's a lot of doctors, and I think what's changed, and I think the pandemic has been part of this as well, is that people have realised that whether doctors are involved in the conversation or not, health conversations are happening. Yeah. And these can be uh, basically false information, making oh, up yes. rubbish. By having doctors online, you're actually trying to redress the balance of having sense. I think that's what you've done really well, is you pick up, like, I love it when you pick up, like, a random thing where someone said something, and loads of people blow, oh, my God, that's true, and it's, like, some random thing, like, drink this, and it's going to cure cancer or whatever and oh, you, do, yeah. you do like a stitch and you explain everything as to why that's not true and you do it a lot in jest but it's a great video because so many people otherwise would believe what was said and i think what's changed in the social media world and, and healthcare world is i think that we are catching up with the fact that you know what people are online now we need to be on there we need to be health needs to be where the people are oh well, i mean the thing is online misinformation travels faster than real information oh. because it's sexy it's of dressed course. up as something else algorithms yeah so if someone says this cancer cure has been hidden from you whatever that video everyone's going to watch it being like oh my god yes because it's sexy yeah. and i think like you said with or without healthcare professionals this misinformation will continue to percolate online and i think there is some degree of ownership as educators even if you're not online that we need to counter this misinformation so we provide people with adequate knowledge and arm them with knowledge and that is an extension of our role as a healthcare professional to educate and empower so they can take a greater ownership of their health so they protect their health. Well if you look at the GMC of what the roles of doctors are, one of them is to educate and inform the public. That is yeah, one of our duties of being a doctor so we have to be where the people are. How do you balance it all because you know I, I know from when say for example when I was working in the pandemic I was working basically every day I was doing videos about what was going on at the front line in the evenings uh, till whatever o'clock it wasn't a sustainable thing and mm. now I have had to well I've literally left A&E because yeah. I wanted to focus on the mental health work on my masters and I've realized that that balance just can't exist do you have a a balance because you're you're doing your lecturing you're doing your educating you do your social media everything you're doing yeah. do you feel that you have that balance initially i didn't especially when tiktok and social media became a far bigger task than i realized it would be you know and for a lot of people and you know increasingly me now it almost becomes a second career yeah and i didn't envisage that one bit so i didn't take any safeguards to make sure that I have enough time for everything in my life so for a while there was something I needed to sacrifice and during the pandemic actually unfortunately a little bit of that was my regular exercise routine I'm increasingly finding more time to organize my life so I can say social media only gets an hour of my day yeah or something like that or you know a couple of hours a week or something and I want to focus on investments which are going to pay dividends in the yeah. long term my mental health my physical health spending time with family my dog all those sort of things and so shadow media. is key <laughs> shadow is yeah he, he demands a lot of my time so you know all of these things have made me realize social media is great and i enjoy it but it needs to be after me and my yeah. health yeah 
It is, it is a boundary, a balance you have to find because otherwise you don't actually, going back to almost the purpose you're on social media, then gets diluted. Oh, you're yeah. not actually get serving people in the way you want to because you're not going to be able to mm. do the job to the level that you want to. Do, do you have a team now? Do you have people helping with editing and stuff or are you still very much a one-man band? Yeah, uh, one, I would love to have a team. Mm -hmm. uh, one-man band for the moment. And I think some of that is also, I, I just like doing a lot of things myself and... I, Are you a control freak? You're a surgeon. I'm afraid to say it. Yeah, Can I say it? I, 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 do, <laughs> I do have trouble delegating. Um, not because I don't trust other people, but like you said, I do like to yes. make sure every detail is how I want it. And I have uh, in the past when I've made YouTube videos, I've got an editor to do something or uh, you know things like that. And for me, it wasn't sustainable because it wasn't the way I envisaged things. So. Uh, yeah, a one-man band, but I would like that to change as I increasingly make more content and you know, increase my presence on social media. Well, yeah, I mean, you, the you following you have is, is monumental. I mean, it's huge now. And so what are you going to do moving forward? Because, I, I mean, I've heard, I've heard you saying it elsewhere that you kind of almost reflect that you don't know whether this was actually the career that you truly wanted for you. I think it's something along those lines that whether... Whether it, if you do it again, do you know what I mean? Is yeah. It, like, I feel like, I think you were saying along the lines that you did it for lots of reasons. You kind of like it and you do like what you do, but it's not necessarily exactly what you'd have chosen. Yeah, I mean, I do really enjoy it. And if I did it all over again with the knowledge I had now, would I be a surgeon? You know, no, maybe. Mm. I don't think so. Uh, if everything I knew right now and all the trials and tribulations I had to go through over the last, you know, 16 years, if you include medical school and, you know, postgraduate life, I may have chosen a different career option. What um, would you have done? I always like languages. So I speak four languages. I speak English, Hindi, Tamil and German. Amazing. I, over the pandemic, I've been trying to learn some Spanish as well. Um, you've, not, you've not been doing enough of it, you just have to you know, learn another language, I sacked it casual, off, yeah. yeah, why not? So, uh, you know, for me, it uh, would, would have been probably um, something, you know, some sort of polyglot or linguist or something like that, and maybe combine that with travelling and eating food, you know, some travelling, multi-language speaking chef or <laughs> food critic or something, I don't know. But if you think about what you do, you really bring, because you're so eloquent, the way that you speak, you've kind of brought that linguist skill set into your content. I just wonder whether, I think the question I'm kind of asking is that, look, I, I made a very difficult decision leaving the hospital. I mean, there's many reasons that I left, some of which are deeply personal, other ones I think are more publicly understood or known. But I made peace with the fact that I've left, and I don't think I'll ever go back to being a clinical okay, doctor really, anymore. Yeah. Because I've made the decision, I, I know my, I have realised that I can help so many more people with what I do in my campaigning yeah. than I can in a hospital shift. And that is fundamentally, that is not to diminish what a doctor does at all. It's different. I will never have a direct effect of saving your life yes. again. Do you know what I mean? Would I have yeah. done something yeah. to save that person's life? But I feel that I can make a small difference to a lot of people, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I've kind of made that piece. Do that, you think, because you're so close to being a consultant now, yeah, do yeah. you think you could get to the top of that ladder, do your 20 years and leave? Is it something that's crossed your mind? Yeah, I mean, firstly, that thing that you just said right now, that resonates with me a lot because say I do a three-hour clinic, you know, a morning clinic from 9am to 12pm. I've got 10 patients in my clinic. You know, at a push, I can see 12, but that will be if everything is going rapidly, which is likely not. <laughs> if I make a video... Uh, about, I don't know, um, hemorrhoids and bowel opening routines and whatnot, how to optimize your 
you know, toilet routine in the morning or something like that. And a lot of this advice I will be giving in the clinic anyway to patients who've got hemorrhoids or anal fissures or whatnot. If I make a video on how to have the perfect poop yeah. and that gets 5 million views, even if 0.1% of that 5 million or 0.01% of that people can take away some nuggets of information from that video, then I've already reached an inordinate amount of people, more so than I'd ever reach in a physical clinic face-to-face. -face. And, that, so, that's, and that's the point, isn't it? And it's not an, uh, uh, the, the YouTuber Ali Abdal, who, who had a similar, he's left yeah. clinical work now, he actually made a, a very similar point. And he said that fundamentally what you've got to accept is that if you have a platform, if you have the opportunity to do so, to not do so, in some yeah. ways, is actually wasting the opportunity because fundamentally, if I let, when I left A&E, someone replaced my position. Yeah. I, if I'm not maximising the reach that I can do, then I'm yeah. not serving the opportunity, am I? And I think that's the, I think you will come to that similar difficult decision, and almost more difficult because you're so close to yeah, consultancy. That, that's, that's been that's the, what's hard. That's been the issue for me. So you know, I have every desire to finish my surgical training, become a consultant and operate for many years. And it would be, it would have to take a huge, significant change in my current sort of social media career, as it were, to make me think I'm going to relinquish my post as a doctor fully and go into that because, you know, I'm almost now a victim to this sunken cost fallacy where <laughs> I put in so say. many years into being a doctor and training in medical school, I would feel incredibly guilty for myself and my parents who've supported me throughout. Ah, but then am I, I'm not, for a start, I'm not just a saying, you're trying to make a doctor, I'm really not trying to tell you to leave. I'm just no. being devil's advocate. Yeah, but yeah, then yeah, you yeah. wouldn't be in this position if it wasn't for that knowledge. Does that make sense? So if you yeah. hadn't have done all the things you've done, you wouldn't yeah. be standing here yeah. with that position yeah, and with yeah. that ability to talk. So it's all hand in hand. It's and maybe true, yeah. it's a question of balance. Maybe it is, maybe it is being part-time and maybe it is doing half and half with clinics. Yeah. And I, I will say to people, I, I think one of the solutions to the crisis that we're in with staff is to start moving. We have seen it in fairness, certain specialties becoming more flexible. I'd say surgery is probably the least. No, mm -hmm. no offence, I've got friends yeah. who are surgeons and really finding it hard. But realising that you, if you allow doctors to do more than one career, you will retain them so much better. Like I've got a friend who's part-time yoga teacher, part-time wow. doctor. Wow. I've got GPs who are part-time boxing, what you call part-time GP. And it you allow them a work-life balance and therefore they're more likely to stay than leave entirely. I don't know how you found it, but I would say, you know, overwhelmingly colleagues in the hospital have enjoyed my success with me and said, well, what you're doing is great. But actually, I don't get that same feeling or vibe from some senior doctors, you know, <laughs> some consultants I have worked with in the past. They've looked at it almost like a distraction in my career. And I've even commented, is this a distraction for your surgical career? And, you know, for me, that doesn't fill me with joy and no. a, a feeling, feeling of someone supported supporting me. Yeah, yeah it, no, it actually puts me in the... I will tell foot. you something, okay, is that the people, people, and then some of that genuinely might come from a genuine question of they don't understand, they're asking questions. And fair enough, people yeah. ask is they don't understand it. And certain, certain, I'm not saying, I'm not being ageist here at all, but probably more likely for the older consultants maybe yeah. not to yeah. be engaged with something like TikTok. But 
a lot often if people say from a place of putting people down it's from a place of personal discomfort Maybe. because they want to have a piece of that i don't know anyway guys we've come to the end of part two we've we've, we've rambled nicely on but i'm bunch and but we've really enjoyed uh, part two of the stomp cast uh in part three we're going to hear some more of your life lessons and you're a man that i know has many life lessons <laughs> to share Thank you once again to Fitflop for sponsoring this episode and making sure our feet are looked after whether we're wandering in the woods or lounging by the fire after a hard stomp. Head over to fitflop.com to check out Fitflop's outdoor shoes and trainers as well as the slippers and slides. Thank you so much for listening to part two of this episode of Dr. Karen in Greenwich Park. If you're not finished your walk yet, make sure to go and listen to part three now or catch up on your stomp cost tomorrow. Also, for anyone wanting more health tips and advice and wanting to build upon the foundations we've developed on the show, head over and get a copy of Live Well Every Day or A Better Day. They're my books to help you improve your physical and mental health. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.